0: All right, we are recording. This is Josh Malden with the Theology Matters podcast, and I'm here today with Brick Johnstone, who was a member at CTI back in 2013 14 in a program on religious experience and moral identity. Brick, tell the listeners what you're working on these days.
1: Yes, I am currently the director of brain injury research at the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia. So I am helping, it's a 158-bed it's a inpatient hospital. It basically treats people primarily with spinal cord injuries and brain injuries and strokes and multiple sclerosis. I'm helping the staff develop some research projects to basically identify interventions that improve the outcomes of the patients that we serve. And specifically, based on the work that I did at CTI, we are continuing to look at how uh, the brain creates a sense of self and how that sense of self serves as the neuropsychological mechanism for things like spiritual transcendence and then also moral behaviors like empathy and altruism. So actually, we've just submitted a proposal to the Templeton Religious Trust to follow patients with brain injury at our hospital longitudinally to see how injury to the right hemisphere of the brain leads to changes in transcendence and moral behaviors. Very interesting.
0: And talk a bit about the project you were working on at CTI and how this work relates
1: to it. Maybe speak a bit sure. So when I was at CTI seven years ago, I just talked to Wesley Wildman, mm-hmm. one of my colleagues there, and he is about to go on sabbatical again and we were Absolutely stunned. It's been seven years. I, it seems like it was yesterday. Um, the work that uh, I am doing continues to be significantly influenced um, by what I did at CTI. And I think what's really interesting to note is that I am working at a rehab hospital. And the focus um, of such programs is pretty, pretty much on medical disorders and issues. So brain injury, you're going to look at parts of the brain and how they relate to outcomes and neuropsychological tests and cognitive abilities like memory and attention. But thank goodness they're allowing us to expand what we traditionally do, to think outside the box, to see how different brain functions are related to things such as spiritual transcendence. So actually yesterday I met with the two chaplains at Shepherd and we're going to talk about how we can um, combine some of the research that I have done with some of the interventions that they are doing, because it's really quite uh, rewarding to know that a place like Shepherd, they acknowledge the importance of spiritual matters to the patients that we serve, and that we can look at their medical issues, and we can deal with psychological issues like uh, depression and anxiety. But for a lot of our patients, uh, primary factors that influence how well they do afterwards are their spiritual beliefs and some of our um, patients like those with spinal cord injuries who can't get around on their own, they are in wheelchairs, they can't drive, many of them, and the research that we have done shows that it's support provided by their fellow congregants that are primary predictors of positive outcomes. So we're looking for a lot of different ways We can use the information we identified at CTI to improve the uh, overall outcomes of the people that we're serving in Shepherd.
0: So you're not only studying how certain aspects of the brain make spiritual experience possible, but also how participation in religious groups and therefore experiences of transcendence can help people cope with difficult issues they're dealing with. Absolutely.
1: So I'd say it's almost a two-step process. The first part is we've identified Certain parts of the brain, right hemisphere, and certain certain neuropsychological abilities, uh, the brain integrates all the different sensations and experiences into a sense of self and how that sense of self can be inhibited or enhanced to lead to like transcendence or empathy. And I think what's important about that, nobody really knows the neuropsychological mechanisms associated with transcendence and people really haven't figured out what makes you empathetic or altruistic or compassionate. But our research is basically saying this is it. It's this part of the brain that creates a sense of mindness. So, for example, if you are going to be spiritually transcendent or have a transcendent experience, you decrease that sense of self. And that fits with what all the mystics have stated throughout history. When they have these experiences, it's almost as if there is no self. Conversely, the research that we've done We thought that empathy was gonna be selfless because most virtues are conceptualized as being selfless behaviors. It's not about me, it's about you. But what we're finding is that you have to have intact right hemisphere abilities and an intact sense of self. So I am going to take your experiences and your thoughts and your behaviors and incorporate them into my sense of self. So I make your experiences my experiences. So that's the first part of our research. And the second part, which is probably more important, is how do those behaviors um, and experiences relate to outcomes? And it's really clear that people who are more spiritual have better outcomes. And we're trying to tie that in with like different religious concepts. And a real easy one in Christianity is let go, let God. And it's basically quit focusing on the self, quit focusing on how difficult the situation is for you and basically say, give it up. Mm -hmm. And kind of like rely on your spiritual beliefs, rely on your congregations. Those are the things that are gonna help you respond better and have better outcomes. And same with empathy. And I think there's research that's out there that shows that people who are empathetic and compassionate, They're basically happier people. And so what we're going to try and see is these people with different brain injuries or different disorders, if they are able to be empathetic, they have to be other focused in addition to kind of incorporated into a sense of the self. And we're going to try and see how much the experience of focusing on others leads to personal growth and satisfaction. So an interesting study that's been done, and I can't remember if it's Case Western or the Cleveland Clinic. Their medical staff has focused on empathy and the importance of all medical um, and health providers to be empathetic. Say that is so critical because a lot of people go and see their physicians and they're treated like a disorder. Here's your disorder. Here's your blood counts. Here's your results, and it's really it's kind of like you're a, a number and a set of ranges. And what they found is what's as equally if not important is how people, how you respond to your patient. So it's like, you tell me your condition, let me understand it. I need to look at you in the entire context. I need to make your experience mine. And at Shepherd, so for example, we're looking at the empathy or the behaviors of our staff because we just found something really interesting. Shepherd compared to other rehab hospitals in the nation we take people that have much more severe injuries. So people that haven't emerged from being unconscious or people with spinal cord injuries that are, can't move anything below their neck. And as a result, they're hospitalized longer at Shepherd And a lot of healthcare organizations and insurance companies, that's what they look at is, how much does it cost us to treat a patient? How many days are they in the hospital? We have to shorten that. And at Shepherd, we're not looking at that But what's really interesting is our patients have better outcomes. More of them are able to go home. More of them are able to return to work. And you can't say it's because the injuries are less severe. You can't say it's um, related to less psychological problems. What we're thinking that it's related to, it's like the overall, and we'll call the demeanor of the staff, but the commitment of the staff. And basically, um, the ideas that our our administration, our our staff, our psychologists, our physicians are truly committed to improving the outcomes of um, the individuals that we serve. So we're going to start looking at staff dispositions as predictors of outcome, which once again goes back to this spiritual nature or this moral nature, um, the ability of our staff to kind of incorporate the experience experiences of our patients into our own experience.
0: That's very amazing and inspiring to see the way in which your academic work has these very on the ground implications for people's lives. I mean, for the outcome, for their ability to live lives and go back to work and, you know, enjoy uh, satisfying uh, ways of living. One thing you said at the beginning was interesting to me, because I initially thought you were saying that, and maybe you were, that this sense of self is sort of necessary in order to have experiences of transcendence. And maybe you can talk a bit about what you mean by transcendence, but you're also saying a lot of religious traditions have this idea that in order to sort of flourish or have the the best experience, you have to get rid of the sense of self and that the sense of a self is almost an affliction. So there's an interesting kind of uh, tension in a sense there.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. And it it forces us to think in different ways. In neuropsychology, we think of our different cognitive skills in terms of more or less. More memory is better. Less memory is bad. More attention is good. Less attention is bad. They're individual cognitive processes. And what we're talking about is the integration of all these processes into a sense of self. And so it's really The best way, it's hard to describe that I have a sense of self. And a way to kind of describe the experiences of people and their sense of self is to relate it to terms of mindness, like I, me, mine. And the brain creates this sense of mindness. So it's like my wife, my baby, my school, my arm, my thought. And what's interesting in neuropsychology is we see that these disorders of the self and that's what they're called, disorders of the self. So there are some people that they have an injury to the right hemisphere of their brain and they will look at their left arm and they'll deny that it's theirs. In a way to conceptualize say that's not my arm. They lose the sense of mindness. Other people, same part of the brain is injured, they'll look in the mirror They'll recognize their wife or their kids in the mirror, but they don't recognize themselves. It's not, not my reflection. They're saying that disorders like schizophrenia are also disorders of the self, which makes perfect sense, and that we all have internal thoughts, and we recognize those as my thoughts, but if you lose the ability to integrate those thoughts into the sense of self, all of a sudden there's a thought, but it's not mine, it's coming from somewhere else. Um, so all these, uh, this research being done in disorders of the self are showing that um, it creates a sense of mindness. Um, so what we're trying to do is apply that sense of mindness to kind of the positive aspects of functioning or not just disorders um, and figuring out how that sense of mindness can be minimized. And the thought with transcendence is really interesting. It goes back to what I learned from all my theologian colleagues. Or most of that stuff was, man is above me. Couldn't at CTI, you
0: mean. The theologians at CTI, right. Exactly. Those yeah. are the
1: only theologians I've worked with, I promise you. <laughs> smart, smart, smart people. But the bottom line is, um, in order to connect with God, in order to connect with the divine, you have to minimize the self. Give up the self so you can connect with things beyond the self. And if you look at Christianity or even it's easier to conceive of in Buddhism, where there is no self, or in Hinduism, where there's kind of little self, big self, cosmic totality. Um, so the religions have kind of been saying for a long time you have to give up the sense of self in order to connect with everything beyond the self. So we're, And we're taking that, we're trying to make it really practical in how we deal with patients in healthcare.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, the other question I wanted to get to was, you know, this, this series of the podcast, I'm trying to connect with CTI members in a range of disciplines, not only theologians, but, you know, psychologists like yourself, people in other fields to ask them how they're thinking about the the crisis of the COVID-19 pandemic that we're in. And in your case, I, I kind of have a two part question. One, just very practically, how has your work at the center you're working at been been affected? And second, you know, from a more academic perspective, how are you reflecting on this situation?
1: Um, So it's been really interesting. I started my new job at Shepherd on February 1st, and then basically in March, the virus hit, and then everything shut down. So I was just getting used to the um, situation. But uh, as a rehab hospital, 158 beds. These are inpatient uh, populations, so they're pretty severe we continue to serve those patients. I mean, we cannot shut down for those inpatients. However, we have a bunch of outpatient programs for people with brain injuries, people for strokes, with strokes, veterans with traumatic brain injury. Um, and we've had to shut those down. And the idea is if anybody contracts the virus and then you put them in an uh, outpatient program where you're around 12 other people that might already be physically compromised, that disease is gonna spread. So we've had to shut those down. And that's a lot of projects. And it's really interesting. A lot of hospitals have had to furlough staff or let people go. But Shepherd has made a commitment, not just to their patients, but to all staff members. So nobody's lost a job. The people who are not working in outpatient programs, they've either put them on the inpatient floor or they had them do things like deliver meals to patients or screen patients that come into um, the hospital. Um, so it's just an absolutely wonderful environment to work with. To your second part of the question, what's been really interesting in healthcare, I think there's a lot of strong-willed people, which can be both good and bad. And most healthcare providers are take the viewpoint that you're my patient, you're gonna come where I am. I'm gonna see you in my house. I need to be there. We don't wanna do telehealth. What's forced our hospitals and others this coronavirus pandemic is that we are now delivering a ton of services through telehealth, just like this. Get on a computer and most patients we have, they either have phones or computers and they can do that. And what we're finding is that it works it's a little bit harder, like just you and I talking and get the volume right and trying to connect and it's a little harder to read. But primarily, most patients really like it, and particularly rehab patients. They don't have to travel here and Atlanta's traffic is terrible. It doesn't cost them any money. They're not driving anywhere or they don't have to get a taxi or things like that. Their satisfaction ratings are quite high so there's a big push now for people saying, even in healthcare, you guys need to change what you're doing to make this easier on the patients. And actually, more quickly than I thought, most healthcare providers are agreeing to it. So that's a, that's a good thing that's come out of this pandemic.
0: Maybe a last question, just from your kind of psychological uh, perspective, and maybe this is a bit outside of your ordinary area of study, just curious what you think about social distancing. The effect that has on, on people, including in their sense of self.
1: Yeah, uh, another really good question, and we've talked about it. I would say, we're, I was talking about this with our chaplains recently. So, psychologists, we, we deal with psychological disorders, which are kind of individually based depression, anxiety, behavioral disorders, and they're kind of like individual disorders. Spiritual disorders are more, they're disorders of connection or disconnection where you don't feel connected to God, you don't feel connected to the world, you don't feel connected to other people. A good example are like service members who have engaged in immoral acts or what they perceive to be immoral acts. Those are disorders of connection. And I think that what we've noticed is people feel disconnected. A perfect example are the patients in our hospital and their families. So basically, we had to stop patient visits because we cannot bring people in from the outside who've been exposed to a lot of people, bring them into a hospital where it would spread like crazy. So we allow one patient in per day, and that, excuse me, one family member in per day. And it's been really hard on everybody. The patients want to see their families, the family members want to see their loved ones in the hospital. Um, So it's really made us realize, although I think we've always known it, that the social connections that people have are super important. And the fact that most of us are at home now and doing things like this, we can work our way around it, but we need that social connection.
0: Well, Brick, I think that's a good point to close on. I found this to be very illuminating to me. And I'm also inspired by the work you're doing and and I'm very excited to see the way that dialogues you had at CTI are informing the, the work you're doing on the ground there, which I think is fascinating and wonderful work.
1: Oh, it's my appreciation to um, Will and all the CTI staff and my colleagues. It's been really nice to see how we've been able to continue this work. It's good for psychologists to talk to theologians and philosophers.
0: That's a good quote to end on. <laughs>
1: all right. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Greg.